Welcome to Elevate Health Podcast, sponsored by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington, and One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, a subsidiary of Elevate Health. This episode features a community care conversation hosted by Robert Marshall Wells, Elevate Health's Director of Marketing and Communications. Today's conversation focuses on substance use disorders, particularly in communities of color. Robert's guest is Chandra King, founder and executive director of For the Culture Treatment Services based in Tacoma, Washington. Now, here's today's host, Robert Marshall Wells. Hello, I'm Robert Marshall Wells, the host for this episode of Elevate Health's Community Care Conversations podcast. Kim Bjorn, the regular host of Community Care Conversations, is away. But our guest today is Chandra King, founder and executive director of For the Culture um, here in Tacoma, Washington. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So For the Culture's vision statement is, our services are committed to building stronger communities and empowering individuals to reach for their highest potential while focusing on serving people of color. Please share with us why you became a substance use disorder professional and why you decided to create For the Culture Counseling Services. Well, my journey started back in 2011. Um, I was working at a women's outpatient treatment center in the child care um, part of it. And I started to attend some of their meetings where they were talking about clients and doing case management. And I was like, that's kind of interesting to me. I think I need to be over there and not with the child care. Um, so I became a substance use disorder professional trainee. So I was getting my license, um, getting my hours in, um, became very, very passionate about it. I started working with um, women who were all involved with either drug court or CPS involved and just, you know, left there, went to the methadone clinic. So kind of got a taste of everything um, drug and alcohol wise, with the exception of inpatient. Um for the culture came about, um, I had my nieces who were in foster care and I had to attend some meetings in Tacoma and I started talking to one of the nurses with Tacoma Public Schools and was telling her what I was doing at a prior agency. And she's like, we need that here for the youth. And I'm like, there's no youth. She's like, it's very rare to find, you know, youth SUD services in Pierce County. So me and my partner, Kiesel Canada, started talking and I got that business plan together and here we are today. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's fantastic. So what services do you provide and, and what is the community that you serve? So right now we just provide substance use disorder services on an outpatient basis. Um, so we in, um, do assessment only outpatient and intensive outpatient. We also do um, outreach services. So you know, there's a stigma around drug and alcohol treatment and, and engaging in services altogether when it comes to drug and alcohol and mental health. So some people are not ready because of the stigma. So we'll engage them in outreach and kind of get them motivated and um, until they're ready to join services. And then we'll be there to assess them and find the appropriate level of care for them. So right now we serve um, our age is 13 and over. We have no no age limit. So we do have a, a youth and an adult program right now running. Okay. And when did you establish For the Culture? 
So For the Culture started April 1st, 2021. So we are a year in. Um, we started the process um, August 20th, 2020. So um, we are officially 501c3 as of two weeks ago. Congratulations. <laughs> so that was a process where like, we might as well go all the way and be a nonprofit because, I mean, we want to be able to provide those services whether people can pay or not. So That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Why, in your opinion, was there this gap? Why? Obviously, there's a need or you tell me, is there a need and, and how has how has the organization grown? Why has it why is it we have not had this service prior to this, in your opinion? So I know um, I met with the provider at Raymond Hall before I even got into this, just to kind of do some investigating to see what services were available for youth out here. Um, and she had gave me two agencies that were doing services. Um, but the missing piece was that cultural competency. Um, most of our, well, all of our clients that come from Raymond Hall are black males. Um, and so there was that, you know, either they're going to a place where it's Hispanic or they're going to a place where it's white and it's, you know, this population, it just wasn't a good fit for them. So, um, you know, we decided we wanted to come in and be that culturally competent. Um, even though our, our vision and our mission is to serve the black and brown community, we provide inclusive services. So anyone who needs services that come to our door, no matter what color you are, we will serve you. But we did see that there was a high need because, again, that stigma, people of color do not access services, whether it's drug and alcohol or mental health. So we wanted to break that stigma and say, hey, you have a place to come to. Right, right. You mentioned 13 and over and also an adult population. How, what's the breakdown? What are the numbers like based on the year that you've been in business? So right now we have 30 clients um, enrolled in between adult and youth. I want to say of the 30, six of them are youth and the rest of them are adults. 99.9% um, .9 of all of our clients are of color as of right now. Um, and they all have some type of legal obligation with us, whether it's DCYF or they're involved with the legal system. So no one is really self-referred, like, I just want to come get the help. It's more like I'm mandated to come and get help. Right. And the acronym that you just used for those who aren't aware, DCYF is? That's the Department of Children, Youth and Family Services. So clients that are involved with Child Protective Services. Got you. Right. So what brought you to Pierce County? Um, I felt like... So I'm a provider who was coming from King County and King County is very competitive. There's lots of services out there. You need services for your youth. You can find it. I want it to be that unicorn. And so I wanted to come somewhere where we would be needed and we would be unique. Um, and so I chose Pierce County first. Let's see. Okay. And what observations have you made having been here now for a couple of years and, and, been providing services? Um, I see that our services are very beneficial despite the fact that 85% of our clients live in King County. So even though our, our location is Pierce, we get a lot of our calls from um, attorneys in King County just hearing about us and having clients that fit our services. Um, we have made contact and partnership with um, PCAP out here in Pierce County. So we're starting to get referrals from them. So we're really starting to build our partnership. 
we don't really know where all the clients are going, but it's pretty much word of mouth when they hear about for the culture out here in Pierce County. And so it's like, I got to send all my clients to you. So then that, that wave, that door starts opening. So um, I do see that there's a need out here. Even the few clients that we have that are from Pierce County, they've actually transferred from other agencies just because they didn't have that culturally competency piece um, that they were looking for. They felt like there wasn't that connection um, with their therapists and they're doing pretty good. You know, we get to see the the comparisons and the behavior. And not only do we hear that from the clients, we also hear that from their service providers. So that tells us that we're doing something good. Right. Well, obviously, you're filling a need that existed. But what gaps do you continue to see and, and what um, what actions do you plan to take to fill those gaps? I think the outreach Peace, there's the gap in that, just like getting the services out there, letting people know that these services do exist. I can definitely see a gap with that. It may mainly be because of COVID. Um, our our mission was to be um, a school-based services, so be able to get into the schools. Um, you know, with the schools just now opening, you know, they're kind of hesitant with letting outside providers in due to COVID. So we're really hoping to connect with the Tacoma schools Um for the fall uh, 2022 so that we can go in and provide those services. Um, a lot of parents, you know, especially again with COVID and single parent households, there's that barrier of, you know, how do I get my child to services if I have to work, if I have more than one job? And so we want to eliminate like that barrier by being able to go into the school. And while they're in school, they get their services done. And then when they get out of school, they're done, but they've had their session. So really just wanting to like, you know, bridge that gap between um, providers, um, letting providers know that we're out here and being able to reach different families and let them know we're community based. And so we don't have to do sessions in the office. If the client wants to walk on the on the track at school, we're going to walk on the track at school and do a session out there. We're, we're community based. We use a humanistic approach when working with our clients. And so, you know, we really want to meet them where they are. And if they're not ready to come sit in the office, then we're not going to force that. But we will provide those services for them. That's terrific. You mentioned COVID. I'm wondering what effects has the pandemic had on um, the situation? You started this basically right smack in the middle of the pandemic. What has that been like? Challenging. Um, finding office space was pretty easy because people, you know, were leaving. So that was, but it was challenging to find the clients because schools were closed down. So it's like, who do we reach out to? Um trying to figure out how do we do therapy in the middle of a pandemic? Okay. So healthcare authority offered, you know, unlimited zoom links. So we're able to run our groups and our sessions on there. Um, that's been the thing. And then also again, trying to find the clientele, trying to bring the clients in. So we can't get into the schools. The courts are closed. Mm, Where do we find the clients? Are right. we knocking on doors? Like, so that was a challenging piece was just finding them. Wow. So did it start slowly and then begin to snowball? Or? Oh, yeah, it was. It, it is. And it's still snowballing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it hasn't slowed down yet. So we're we're growing. We do have our Pierce County, you know, location and we're we're planning to open in different counties. So it's um, definitely a snowball effect right now. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. So on your website, uh, you have a prompt for discussion. And we found this interesting. Jail or treatment? Talk more about that. 
I am a believer that if someone is constantly going to jail for a mental health or a substance use issue, I mean, granted, they're stealing from the store or they're selling drugs. They're probably stealing to support their drug habit or they're selling drugs to support their lifestyle. That tells me that there's a problem. So if I'm going to sentence them to 20 years in prison because they're selling or they're doing these illegal things, majority of the time when they get out, they're going to go back to that behavior immediately. Um, I don't think that jail like reforms that person is going to change their act. So I am a firm believer that, you know, if a client had that opportunity to have treatment services, um, you know, offered to them instead of going to jail, they would learn more. There would be less, you know, um, break ins, uh, less um, even emergency room visits due to overdoses. So I feel like treatment is a better option for individuals compared to going to jail. Right. You mentioned that a lot of your clients are mandated to come visit you, but do you find that once they are with you, they're happy to have someone to, I mean, to talk to us about that, the, the relationship between you and your clients. So again, I think we're a little unique because we use that humanistic approach. We're not, you know, reading things from a book or a manual, this is like real life. We're going to talk to you and you're going to tell us how it is and we're going to tell you how it is. So our clients connect with us really, really well. And a lot of the times their services are closed and they they stay and they complete the program. So once they're not mandated anymore, the typical response is, okay, we know we're going to discharge this client, but they're like, no, I want to complete the program. I want to stay here. So we've haven't had, we've had clients, uh, their case closed with CPS or their criminal case closed, but they choose to stay with the program until they fully graduate and complete. That's fantastic. And how long is the program? So it depends. So if a client comes in and they're assessed for IOP, which is level 2.1, then they will be with us for a year. What is that? I'm sorry. For yeah. So, so we mean? use um, the ACM level of care to place our clients. So they'll come in and do an assessment and they'll either meet criteria for intensive outpatient treatment, which that program is a year, or they'll meet criteria for just outpatient. And that program is six months. So we'll have them for a year or we'll have them for six months. And some of them decide to, to stay. They want to stay. I'm like, you got to go. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, we we never, you know, we make sure because once they because they all start in and they engage in group sessions and then towards the end, they do more individual sessions. So they're out of the group. And so we like to make sure we create a thorough relapse prevention plan with our clients because relapse is possible when you're in recovery. Something could happen and it can cause you to relapse. So we want you to have this plan that you can change at any moment. It's a living document. If the if these coping skills don't work for you, then you can add new ones on here. So we like to really work with them and have that. And then we like to do an aftercare plan with them. So you're doing self-help meetings. Do you plan to continue that? You're taking your medications, you know, make sure you're staying connected with your doctor. You have this mental health diagnosis. Make sure you're following up with mental health. So we like to make sure that they have a clear plan. And if we see any risk factors that can place them at risk for relapse, then we'll keep them a little bit longer. We want them to be fully stable when they leave our program. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This episode is supported by One Pierce, the investment arm of Elevate Health. One Pierce is a nonprofit community investment fund focused on improving whole person health, advancing health equity, and expanding health access for the people of Pierce County. To learn more, visit us at onepierce.org. 
I asked you about the effects of the pandemic, and you talked a little bit about the effects that it had on you and the inability, at least at, at the beginning, to find clients. What about the effects of the pandemic on the clients themselves? What, you know, the being closed up and shut in, and what have been the impacts of that? Well, we noticed, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, it was an increase in substance use. You know, even with youth, like most of the time when youth come in, they have like a diagnosis for marijuana. So youth are now smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol. Um, And it went from just smoking one blunt. Now it's like, well, I'm shunned in the house and I'm doing my my classes on Zoom. So I'm going to smoke more. I might not even log into my class. Um, And and even with adults, like with the pandemic, I did notice an increase in opiate use. I mean, we've always had an opiate problem, but since the pandemic, then we get this fentanyl that came out. And so everyone wants to use the fentanyl. Definitely an increase in methamphetamines. Um, I really didn't see a decrease and it was really hard for clients to not use just because of their mental capacity and where they were. You know, they're not able to engage and interact with um, the community and they, they feel like they're um, they're stuck in the home. They had nothing to do. So the only option was to increase the substance use just to keep their sanity. Could you talk to us about um, maybe one or two success stories? Um Things that have um, that have made you smile and made you happy <laughs> about the work that you do. I had a client that came in and when she started treatment, she was homeless, sleeping outside at the park. Um, and she logged in the whole time I had her for that six month period. She only missed one group session. And that was like when she first had COVID. It was just one group she missed, but she made it to every single group. Um, closer to her time of graduating, she secured housing. So she got a place with no assistance, so no Section 8 voucher, nothing, got a job, um, secured housing. Her children were returned to her. So her her case with CPS closed February 2022. She graduated for the culture March 2022. So she stayed until she graduated and was able to reunify with her children which she had been working for years to get them back, but just couldn't follow through with the treatment piece. So I still stay in contact with her today. She's still sober and she still has her kids and still has her housing. That's fantastic. Um, And I think a success story for the agency. um, So again, we just got our 501c3. I applied for that February, 2022, and we got that April, 2022. So We're really excited for that. And April 1st, we'll be opening our second branch in Kent, Washington. So we'll be in King County. Um, And then the plan is to go to Olympia. And our last place is Bellevue. So four locations is is the plan. And I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) No more? (laughs) I mean, I'm considering inpatient, opening an inpatient facility because there is a need for fathers with children. I do notice that like when I'm referring clients that need long term residential treatment, um, it's easy for me to send a mom and her baby somewhere. But I cannot send a father and, and his baby somewhere. Because they're just pregnant parenting women programs. So it's got to be a mom and child. So, you know, I, I can't save the whole world. But, you know, my idea is potentially inpatient after the outpatients are established. Yeah, so never say never. <laughs> I won't say never. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. What has caused, on a more serious note, what has caused this explosion in substance use, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's always been there, but. It appears that it is just 
manifest everywhere now. Why? What's going on from someone who does this for a living? What insights can you give us? So first, I'm going to say no one wakes up and decides they're going to be an addict. You know, and a lot of people say, oh, you're an addict or you're a junkie. But there's things that are underlying that cause that person to do that. So, again, with us, you know, we like to explore a lot of the issues that we're seeing is just unresolved trauma. Again, I'm always going to take it back to that stigma is we keep things in the family. We don't talk about these things. So when things are buried, you know, as people get older, they still relive those moments and that's just their way to cope with it. And if they seen that growing up in the home, dad was drinking all the time. You know, that's how he coped with his anger when he got fired from work. Then if it worked for dad, why can't it work with me? So there's really a lot of, un, you know, it's very rare that I see someone come in for treatment and it's environmental. Meaning like, you know, they came in and their friend tried drugs and they tried drugs with them and they're addicted. I haven't seen that in years, to be honest. Most of the clients is biological. It's a family history. And so they're coming in and they say, I got to break this curse. You know, I, I want to break this curse. So a lot of it is really just that un, the unresolved issues that they've had. And even as adults, I mean, if you had a lovely childhood, there's still things that happen. You're going through losses of relationships, you know, children, people passing away. And so, again, depending on how you were raised, you go back to what you know. We also understand that your focus and you've mentioned that your focus is on youth. Again, what's going on with youth that is causing this explosion that we talked about? Social media. Social media is a big thing. You got your TikTok, wow. you got your Instagram. I mean, you know, we even seen even outside of drug and alcohol, we saw that whole trend that was going on on TikTok where it was like, you got to beat the teacher up or blow something up in the school. So then everybody around the United States started doing it. So, you know, social media is there. It's I'm going to say from the time that I was a kid up until now, I'm a mom and I have kids. I wasn't exposed to social media like that. Like I didn't know about these things. Now you can see a five year old on YouTube or, or on TikTok and they're only five. So they're they're trying they're trying these things. So social media definitely pays plays a role more than that peer pressure at school because they're going to go to social media first. And I think the peer pressure has diminished, especially with COVID, because we weren't really, you know, face to face with our classmates. We were more right. so on Zoom. Right. Wow. So how do you treat that? I mean, how can what advice can you possibly give to a young person who is being bullied online or whatever? What what how do you do, how can you deal with that as a counselor? It's more so um, exploring what their goals are and what their wants and needs are. Do you want to stop using? Do you want to decrease your use? Again, meeting the clients where they are. We use a harm reduction model. So if we have youth that come in that, you know, smoke marijuana and they're smoking 10 blunts a day, but they only want to go down to one blunt a day, we're going to provide those skills to them to help them reduce their substance use. Nine times out of 10, our youth that come in that want to reduce, they end up quitting. Because we try to explore like long term things for them, like, do you want to go to college? What kind of career goals do you have? And just really get them involved in the community. Because when they're they have time on their hands, they're sitting around the house, they're bored, they're getting into trouble. They don't have structure. And again, we think back to is this a single mom raising four boys? Does she have time? Is she working two or three jobs? When does she have time to like really pay attention? Because she's trying to make sure that they have their basic needs met. And so we don't think about the impact that that has on our children and why they go and explore other options and do other things. 
So really just finding out what their goals are, meeting them where they are and just working them through that and providing education is key because it's like, yeah, I can smoke a blunt. But do you know what marijuana does to your body? Do you know what it does to your brain as you're developing? They don't know these things. And so when they sit and we're talking to them, they find it very interesting. And it's like, well, I don't want to be doing that. You know, I want to be a football player. If I'm smoking marijuana, how can I be a football player, you know, later? How can I go to college? How can I get a job? And so it's really about, you know, again, that outreach piece is like reaching them when they're young, when they're when they're at risk of of having these behaviors, like intervening immediately before they have to come in our office and be assessed. Wow. So what gives you um, pause or what concerns you? most about the work that you do as you survey the landscape and you see what's going on, what worries you? I want to say the first thing would be, you know, we're all contracted with Medicaid. (laughs) The rates that Medicaid pays for agencies barely covers payroll. And so a lot of counselors are not in the field right now because there is no way to pay them. So I, I have a fear, not just for substance use, but also for mental health, you know, clients, even for, you know, SGD and mental health, they're waiting a month to two months just to even get in to get an assessment. Um, we're not talking about actual treatment, just we're an talking assessment, about just, just an someone assessment. to talk to them and see where they are. Yes. We're talking about a month to two month wait just to come in for an assessment when Medicaid wants us to intervene within 24 to 48 hours. But how can we do that when there's no staff? Um, so I have a I have a fear for where we're going when it comes to um, substance use disorder and mental health services for youth and for adult, particularly for youth. <laughs> um, there's not that many youth providers as it is. It's really hard right. for youth to find services. So um, that's that. Yeah, I would say that's my biggest fear. So we talk a lot here at Elevate Health about workforce development and um, trying to to build the cadre of people who do your work and, and across the healthcare professions. It's it's heartbreaking and it's tough. What what can you do? What or what do you do? That's that's a good question. It's challenging. I mean, for us, we try to look at. Um, you know, try to hide. We are pushing towards having lived experience um, case managers come on board. So we really want our clients like we pressure them. OK, you have to have a year of sobriety. You have that year of sobriety. You take a break from for the culture and you really just do some, you know, evaluating of your life and where you're going and what you want to do. And then we would love to have you come on board because the lived experience case managers, I mean, they're going to have a more positive outreach than me hiring someone who went to school, but they don't have the experience. Um, our, our vision is, you know, our clients have been through the CPS system. They've been in recovery. They know our program. They know our expectations. And so it would be easier for them to come out and meet with our clients in the community. So that's kind of the journey. That's kind of the route we're going because it's really hard. Again, there's not that many counselors in the field, even offering bonuses and things. They're not applying so we kind of have to go another route, you know, just to make sure that all of our clients are served and their needs are met. Right. Be a little bit more innovative in the oh, way yeah. you go about doing business. That's interesting. Which could be a good thing, you know, change is good. So yeah. we're looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. All right. The flip side of the what gives you pause and what keeps you up at night question is the question that Kim always asks when she is conducting these interviews is what gives you hope? 
just knowing that I'm saving one person at a time. You know, I'm reuniting families. I'm providing, you know, culturally competent care and clients are, are getting it and they're understanding and they're able to have that relationship and that bond with me and that trust as a therapist to learn these life skills and have them continue with them. That's what gives me hope. Well, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. That half hour went very quickly. Um, and please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcasts wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode. Chandra King, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank please come back and see us again. Thank you for having me. This episode of Elevate Health Podcast was produced by Kim Bjorn, Joshua Wiersma, and Robert Marshall Wells. Original music was composed by Riley Eggy, and the podcast was engineered and edited by Joshua Wiersma. Please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcasts wherever you're listening so that you will never miss an episode.